Hey everybody, how are you doing? This is Ethan Gillum, your host on our new podcast called Echoes of the Land, Tradition, Agriculture, Livestock, and Expertise. We, on this podcast, we are trying to reach out and talk to the folks that have been integral in shaping the ag and livestock industry yesterday and today. From our local experts here in Sevier County, Utah, to nationally recognized professionals, we're getting their stories, expertise, and passions for the education of our listeners. Stay tuned, everybody. On this episode, we're going to be talking with Dr. Dave Seclocha. He's from Merck Animal Health. He's a feedlot veterinarian by trade. He also specializes in animal welfare, animal handling techniques, especially in the feed yard, and training guys on the ground and showing them those techniques that make their operations more efficient and less stressful. The stuff he has to say, guys, is really interesting. It's gonna, it's a money saver, and it's a big deal today, not only for the public eye, but also for the, the success and the, uh, I believe, the prosperity of future outlooks in the ranching world and the livestock and ag industry as a whole. Listen in, guys. This is good. How did you decide that you were going to be a veterinarian? In the capacity of the veterinarian that you are now, is that what you imagined when you thought of the job? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, to answer your second question, not really, but mm -hmm. I, I do enjoy it. I enjoy it thoroughly. But uh, how I decided to become a veterinarian, well, that that's going to roll back a long time. That's good. Uh, back in, uh, uh, I was born in Iowa. And when I was about 10 years old, my family went on one of the few family vacations that we ever went on. Uh, my aunt and uncle lived in Salt Lake City, and uh, my uncle was doing a medical residency out there in Salt Lake City. And so we went out to visit them and, <clears throat> you know, just hung around with family. Uh, we did go camping in the mountains, uh, but then on the way back home to Iowa, my dad mentioned something about uh, there was a 100,000 head capacity feed yard that had been, recently been built in Colorado, uh, owned by the Monfort family. And uh, where we lived in Iowa, uh, my dad's stepdad um, had a uh, a large farming operation, but they also fed a couple thousand head of cattle. And so, at that time, the Monfort family had a, a an actual observation tower on the edge of their feed yard, so people could just stop by and climb up in the tower and look oh, over the cool. feed yard. And that's kind of when I got hooked on cattle feeding, because I, I can remember to this day uh, climbing up those steps, and of course there was a a solid wall and a rail around the, the top of the observation tower and as I walked toward that rail and all those cattle came into view mm. and all those feed trucks going all over and cowboys pushing cattle here and there and just the 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 managed chaos just really intrigued me. Right yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was just amazing to see all those cattle and that's kinda of when I decided I knew I wanted to be involved in cattle feeding. 
And I'd always kind of wanted to be a veterinarian. I took a little longer uh, getting around to that step than uh, than most folks. I uh, uh, after I got out of high school, I went to college off and on for a year and a half at uh, uh, what was then Northeast Missouri State University. And my heart just really wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I went to work in a small feed yard in, in southwest Missouri and, uh, uh, rode pens and doctored cattle, processed cattle, even called feed and, and fed cattle. Uh, but, uh, my primary <coughs> responsibilities were in the, uh, the animal health side. And, uh, while I was there, I got married uh, to a woman that uh, probably should have been certified as insane because, she, <laughs> number one, she married me. And number two, shortly after we got married, I said, you know, I really would like to give this vet school thing a try. And she says, okay, let's do it. And okay. so she, uh, she worked and, uh, and, and kept the groceries on the table while I, while I went to school. I, when we started, in, uh, I went to Kansas State and started in uh, – uh, the fall of 1987, and I was six weeks shy of my 25th birthday as I started my undergrad there. And mm-hmm. uh, so, and 25 is a pretty typical age for most veterinarians to be getting out of school. So there was quite a <laughs> quite a push there for me to relearn how to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my study habits were were never that great and uh, and I really had to put those to pressure but but it all worked out after uh, after three years of undergrad uh, I got accepted to K-State and graduated from there from the vet school there in uh, in 1994 and from then on my goal was always to uh, to primarily focus on on feed yards and, you know, I tell people that's what I went to vet school for, was to become a, a feed yard veterinarian. And um, I, uh, I practiced in southwest Nebraska and tried to develop a feed yard consulting practice. It was slow going. And uh, uh, then I went to work for as a actually a, in, in management of a feed yard for a large cattle feeding company in Colorado for a few years and uh, then wound up. Um, going back to Nebraska to the same practice and buying into it. <clears throat> and then a, uh, another opportunity, a better opportunity as far as feed yard consulting uh, popped up for me. So I sold out of the practice in, in Nebraska and moved to a uh, little town of Sublette, Kansas, and practiced there. And, and from there on just did nearly all uh, feed yard consulting, a little bit of horse work here and there. But uh, it was nearly all feed yard consulting and that's kind of when I my, our, my biggest uh, consulting client asked me to uh, to join them on staff but uh, no it's been a, a very rewarding career uh, you know it, it's not very often that uh, when you set out to do something it it turns out almost exactly the way you hoped it would mm-hmm. and uh, and and my career really has when uh, uh, in the in 2018 uh, the the family that owned that feed yard uh, did a little uh, repositioning and wound up selling off uh, a couple other feed yards and at that point um, I started looking for something else to do and uh, 
this Merck position came open, and uh, by virtue of the fact that we had done a lot of research uh, for at that feed yard for virtually all the pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed that uh, everyone appreciated their employers that uh, from the different pharmaceutical companies, but I it. It seemed like the Merck employees complained about their employers the the least, <laughs> and so that was okay. a, to me that was a good sign. And uh, and I knew a few people in Merck, uh, some very good friends. In fact, I've got a class uh, that school classmate that works for Merck as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was it was a, a good move for us. And uh, and the nice thing about it is they they told me I could kind of live wherever I wanted to, but they wanted me to focus on feed yards and. And so uh, by that the time that hit, our two oldest kids had graduated from college and been married, and we're starting to have kids. And so uh, we now live within two miles of one set of grandkids oh, and wow. with 10 miles of another set of grandkids. Wow. So we moved from Sublette to north up by Topeka, Kansas. And so, yeah, that's kind of the, the nutshell of it. Um, Merck, um, when, I, when I joined them... Um, it was i was trying to figure out what this tech services position was going to be like frankly i'm still kind of trying to yeah. figure it out so so the official title is a technical services veterinarian yes. right yep. okay yep and uh but they're keeping you in your wheelhouse yeah absolutely yep yeah you know and the things i'm passionate about uh you know animal welfare um you know it's it's i've got uh, some great colleagues to work with. My the, the my supervisors are uh, open to almost anything that I would like to do, and uh, and so you know, and one of them is is uh, like this uh, stockmanship and stewardship thing. I I, I attend most of these, mm-hmm. uh, representing Merck, and so yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun because. Um, I don't. I, I, while I focus on on feed yards, I do get to kind of travel all over the U.S. Yeah, and and I get to get out on farms and ranches. You know, you 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 visit a, a farm in in West Virginia, and uh, that I'd have never gotten to get out on that land and look at the cattle and and ask that ask, ask that producer. Uh, why he does the things the way he does, and then I then I might show up in in uh, Idaho with mm-hmm. another on another ranch, and and uh, and it's just interesting to see all the different ways that uh, uh, and reasons why cattle are managed the way they are in their different mm-hmm. environments, and uh, you know it makes a lot of sense, um, and it's it you know what what might work in in Nevada would never work in Georgia. And yeah. vice versa, but uh, uh, it, it it works there, yeah, in, in those respective places. But um, it's it's really intriguing to um, get involved, or at least be able to see firsthand some of these differences in in production. I think that's probably I like what you said because that's that's one of the interesting things, at least in in my opinion, and and what I've learned there. There's not a lot of species out there. There's not a lot of animals out there that can adjust to a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're really specific to where they are or where they start out, right? And their whether you want to call it biosphere or wherever their biome or or just their their home range. But it's interesting to see, you know, guys working cows in Washington State, 
mm-hmm. and then guys working them in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and they've got 50 head on, on 10 acres, yeah. you know, and the grass is up to your waist. Yeah. <laughs> and in Washington, they're putting 50 head on, you know, 700 acres, yeah. trying to find enough for them. But something else you said that I was... I, I I thought it was kind of a I don't know what people call them nowadays like a buzz a buzz phrase or a buzzword is uh, how you said you know you're you're a feedlot guy mm-hmm. a feeding guy which is which is really unique because you also talk about uh, and I hope you can maybe we can get you to expand just a little bit on on why you why you talk about animal welfare because I don't think a lot of people associate feed yard guys with animal welfare. They don't like to anyway, or they don't want to admit that they exist. So yeah. you're in the public side, you're kind of a rarity. Yeah. Um, so, so what is it about welfare that, that turns your gears? Well, uh, of course, number one, I love beef. I love the beef industry and uh, I want to see it succeed. And, and I understand that there are some people that are concerned about, uh, how cattle are cared for in in feedlots, and uh, and I like a good case stater. Um, I'm a big fan of Bill Snyder, and one of his mantras that he preached to all his players is that do a little bit better today than you did yesterday, mm-hmm. and that's kind of I've I've adopted that uh, mantra myself, and and uh, and you know it, it's not unique to to Coach Snyder. I just like to give him credit for it but uh, yeah but uh um so that's that's kind of what uh got me into it i've i've kind of and this is going to sound like i'm tooting my own horn but i've kind of always had a knack for just for animal handling Mm -hmm. and uh uh and i can see ways that we can do things better i see i see things that we uh, are doing and uh, and if I don't like them, I try to change them and uh, and so um, that's what kind of what got me uh, going in in the animal welfare direction. Um, you know, some of the things like if we look at uh, where I was primarily practicing there in Kansas, it's a fairly dry area. And, and that's the reason a lot of cattle are fed there is because we don't have to deal with, with mud as a rule. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think by virtue of the fact that we have that dry area, uh, we've kind of gotten away from bedding cattle. And we figure that okay, the, the soil's dry, the pen's dry, and uh, and so they've got a dry place to lay down mm-hmm. and let's not worry about bedding. But it's pretty amazing, and uh, that's one of the first things I, I noticed was uh, when we put bedding out, those calves that were laying on that dry dirt would get up and come over and lay in that bedding. Bedding. And another thing, when, and this is when I was uh, in, in, in Colorado, uh, we had a processing crew, and uh, a custom processing crew that worked at that yard. And they were a good processing crew, but um, they had uh, several electric prods. And uh, actually, the, the feed yard owned the prods, and they had the long wands on them. And uh, they were always breaking the wands, and they were always running out of, of uh, batteries. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was kind of in charge of, of 
making getting uh, cattle to that crew and everything and and uh, arranging getting all the vaccines up there that they needed to administer and that sort of thing and one day they told me uh, doc we got a we need we need a couple new wands for the electric prods and we're out of batteries and so i ran into the health store not really thinking anything of it and uh as it turns out the animal health store had just one foot long wands that's all they had they were out of the the longer wands Mm -hmm. and so they needed them so i bought them and i brought them out there and the crew wasn't very happy i feel like i know where this is going yeah yeah and uh uh but i said well it's, it's what you got to deal with yeah and so what we found out there was that uh of course the shorter wand was harder to break uh-huh. They weren't sticking it in places that uh, didn't need to go. And the other thing was uh, they had to get close to the cattle to, to move them. Uh-huh. And so not only did we quit breaking wands, but our battery, our electric prod battery bill just dropped through the floor. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, they, were, they just weren't using the electric prods as much because they had to actually move to the cattle. And as they got close to the cattle, the cattle wouldn't the cattle move without moved. them. Yeah. yeah. And so that that really struck a chord with me, and that's really what put me on the road to looking at uh, things that we can do better as far as animal welfare is concerned. And uh, and when I joined, I'll, I'll just say the name. Uh, the, the went on staff with that with our largest cattle feeding client. It's Cattle Empire. Um, when I joined them, that was. One of their focuses too. They knew I had an interest in animal welfare, and they wanted uh, their mm-hmm. crews to be focused on animal welfare. And so that was that was part of my major responsibilities was uh, getting everybody up to snuff on cattle handling and and that sort of thing. And it it took it took a little bit uh, of convincing to get these guys. And and one of the first things we did was we utilized the national BQA uh, welfare assessment. Uh, not an audit; it was an assessment mm-hmm. at that time to see where they were at. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and part of it was that uh, you know uh, part of the assessment besides cattle handling or besides the other things you saw in the yard was cattle handling. And uh, and so we'd watch them put 100 head of cattle through the chute, and you record how many times they did use an electric prod, uh, how many uh, how many times the cattle vocalized, how many of them jumped out of the squeeze chute, those they sorts ran of things. Yeah, yeah, okay, yep. okay, yeah. And uh, and of course those are all indicators of uh, of stress. Yep. And, and so um, that assessment basically said that you needed to use an electric prod on less than 10% of the cattle. And uh, when I told the, our crews that that was going to be their, their benchmark, it's interesting because they really didn't think they could possibly work cattle in that way and do it. Without, without They knew they were going to exceed it by a long ways or, or, or they weren't going to any, get any cattle to be processed. And so... Um, we, we, we had three different processing barns, three different processing crews. Um, first time we did it, they came close, but none of them, uh, essentially passed the assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, and they thought they were struggling. And after after they didn't pass it, then I started working one-on-one with each of the workers as much as I could and showing them better cattle handling techniques. And then the second time, just a week or so later, they they passed it with flying colors. And, and we did that assessment monthly for six or eight months, and then we started going uh, quarterly. Mm-hmm. And uh, the crews took it as a challenge. And uh, when they figured out that they could work cattle without overusing the electric prod, then, uh, then it, 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 it became easier for them because, and they enjoyed their work more. They weren't as stressed about yeah. it, angry about it. Absolutely. Anger yeah. is a big thing. Yeah. So, um, and, and it got to where I could, uh, two or three percent was tops is all they'd use an electric prod on. And it got to where uh, I would go uh, assess crews on a quarterly basis, and we might go three or four assessments, and not one of the crews would use the electric prod even once. Yeah, they got that good at it. Mm-hmm. And there were some some changes to the facilities we made to try to make it better. We uh, we had uh, in credit uh, cattle empire and the Brown family for. Uh, spending the money we 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 got away from the the circular sweeps and the snakes and uh uh, we went to bud boxes uh, with the open sides and i like that i have nothing against the circular sweeps in the in the in the in the curved alleyways but if you uh, get a guy knows how to use a box absolutely it's quick and uh uh and you know there's some training there you know um you know, it's like, and Temple Grandin has said this herself when she designed those. Her initial goal was to, you know, and this isn't her words, but she basically wanted to make them idiot proof that anybody could mm-hmm. could work cattle through them, and and that's just not possible. Yeah. And and she and she knows that she said that, but um, with the bud box, uh, it does require a little thinking, a little bit of manipulation yep. yep and uh and but the guys those, that those crews picked up on that so quick once once they understood the principle of it uh they picked up on it really quick and uh and the cattle were calmer um mm-hmm. and that's a, another thing um when i first started working with them and before we um uh started redesigning our facilities uh, I was working with one particular crew, and instead of filling up the the tub, which is a big mistake, you know, yeah. everybody wants to fill that tub up and ho- use it as a holding pen. I just I just started having them bring in just six or eight at a time and go right into the alleyway, and and then we the the sweep gate. Mm-hmm. The only time it stopped is when it was open. So it, yep. when you started pushing it shut. As soon as the last calf went into the into the alleyway, he opened it back up and went and get, got a few more. It meant a little more walking, but when we got done with that pen of cattle, the uh, the implanter came and thanked me for training for working with that crew because it beat made, up all yep, the time. It made his job so much easier. They come in hot into the shoes. Absolutely, and... we're throwing their heads around mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. So, no, it's uh, uh, and and when you see those kind of of uh, changes, differences, improvements that can be made, um, it 
it makes your job worthwhile. Oh, yeah. you, it, it feels like you've accomplished something. So, well, that's large. That's large scale impact on that too, mm-hmm. because you know, I in college when I did animal science, I thought my my reproduction class and anatomy class, I I really enjoyed them, and I thought they were going to be the most fun. But probably the most fun class I had is I took animal handling and behavior um, at BYU Idaho, and that was I remember calling my friends, calling my parents, and saying. You won't believe we loaded bulls on a trailer, yearling bulls, and they stayed there with the door open. And, I, and, and, and learning how to work a bud box. And and uh, probably the most significant thing that I learned was I came away from working cows clean, and I wasn't tired, yep. and I wasn't angry. Yep. And I remember the professor used to say, you know, the first word out of almost every cattle guy's mouth when something goes wrong is dumb cow. Mm-hmm. He says, do you really think it's the cow's fault? <laughs> I mean, you spend more time training the people, yep. but once they get it, uh, you know, the cows, even like today out there, uh, you know, having seen it done before, you, you notice that, man, you, there's, there, you know, all the cows get up to the gate and then all of them leave. And then one stays behind and they leave. And then all of a sudden there's four standing while only a couple of them leave. They're, they learn a lot quicker than we do yep. where the pressure is. And, and so I've always thought that's really an impressive uh, impressive thing to realize, but it's probably the hardest thing to do is implement it with the guys that actually have to yeah. have to do it on the ground. I, I would agree. And in, in the uh, you know that you, you mentioned that uh, dumb cow thing, and and I, I've got a talk I've actually given it here at some of these stockmanship and stewardships before, and it's it's what I call common cattle handling mistakes, and it's just a list of of silly things that we do, and we don't really even think about them. But uh, I always finish up that talk saying that uh, most of our problems with cattle handling are not due to stupid cattle. And I yeah. stop right there. Yeah, <laughs> people figure out the rest. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, I would say probably the number one reason behind that is, is that we've all been trained. And, and I like to think of myself as, I guess, a progressive cattle guy but and my dad as well. But I think we were all trained in that. Hurry up, get mm-hmm. this job done. Let's yep. go before the sun's down. Yep. And that translated into a lot of sitting behind all the cows, pushing them and, and, and prodding them. And yep. and uh, I remember my professor used to say, you know, you could make this to where you could just sit on your horse and eat a sandwich. Mm-hmm. The cows will start doing it if you'll let them learn. Yep. And that initial patience, because we just don't, the, the breed of people that we are just don't naturally come by a lot of patience. Yep. And, but... <clears throat> What, going off what you said, I think there's a lot of research that we've done in different fields as far as things that translate into dollar bills, mm-hmm. like heat stress, mm-hmm. dollar bills loss, or uh, you know feeds, tons of feeds. But cattle handling translates into dollar bills just as much, absolutely, as anything else. It, have you? Is there anything that you've seen that specifically on on the production side where you can say? It, it would be hard for me to put uh, uh, re- some really good scientific uh, data behind it, but uh, I, I, the when it comes to cattle handling and, and you've got a, a crew that understands uh, how to do it with a minimal amount of stress, with a minimal amount of, of uh, electric prodding and that sort of thing, and, uh, and the cattle exit the chute at a walk or at the most a trot and then they break into a walk um you can 
uh, as that became more and more of a of a norm for us, uh, we could see. I, I felt like I could see the health of the cattle improve. Yeah, and uh, and the other end of it is, especially when you're, for instance. Uh, you, you get in some light calves, and they might get a couple implants uh, while they're at the feed yard. Whether you know they need to get run through the chute again. If you handle them right that first time, that second time through the chute is going to be so much easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, and the vice versa is true mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. mess it up the first time, absolutely, it gets absolutely. Harder. So yeah, as far as the the true dollars and cents, um, I can't I can't put a dollar figure on it. Uh, but uh, I guess the dollar figure is it's just the right thing to do. It is the right thing. To, I agree with you. And I think when you you know they talk about some of the costs that it, especially ranchers, but feed yard guys and dairy guys go through. You know, there's more cost than just feeding cows. Even mm-hmm. though that's the biggest cost. You know, broken equipment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go easy on your equipment. You go easy on your crew. You, you know, you're you're not sending guys to the hospital. You're not mm-hmm. buying a new chute or buying new panels or uh, well, a lot of those things add up. And that's another thing is is the more um, we stressed good animal welfare, good cattle handling, et cetera, the, uh, our employee turnover rate dropped. Yeah, they liked their job. Yeah, they enjoyed it, and uh, uh, and they, they stayed on and, and – uh, they were just happy. They were just mm-hmm. happier workers. Yeah. Um, instead of thinking that they had to get so many cows through a day and yeah. they were stressed. And-, and, and that's another thing, you know, um, you, 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 after after we kind of got everybody uh, schooled and trained and they accepted it and, and put it to work and, then, and it, you know, I put a lot of effort into it, but so did they. They mm-hmm. put a lot of effort into learning. But, um, we'd have, uh, there was one time a, uh, 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 client customer came by, a feeding customer came by and he wanted to see this bud box system work because at that time it was still a fairly novel idea. And, uh, so we went in and, and he watched us, uh, work those cattle. And of course we'd, we'd taken the hydraulic pump off the chute and put it outside. So it was quiet in there. Uh, the guys weren't yelling at the cattle. That's another thing that I yep. stress. You don't you don't yell. Uh, there were no um, stock whips. If anybody, if people they carried flags or or paddle. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even a big fan of the paddle. But mm-hmm. uh, and the elect the electric prod was there, but it was hung on a hook. Yep. And the cattle were going through, and the and the workers could have a conversation like you and I were having. Uh, while they were working cattle, and they weren't having to yell at yeah. each other, in the uh, in the, uh, the the customer that was there to watch it, he said, "Well, it's, this is really nice," but he says, "I've got to work cattle faster than this." And I said, "Well, how fast do you think you've got to work cattle?" Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, uh, "Well, I got to at least do 120 head an hour." And I said, "You start counting." And we were working them at 150 head an hour. It was mm-hmm. just that quiet. Yep. And just the fact that we were quiet and the guys were calm and the cattle were calm, he didn't think there was any way we were working There's cattle no quickly. There's no way they were going fast. Yep. Guys don't realize how much time gets wasted in beating 
from behind yep. or yelling at your guys. Yep. Or then you get bad relationships on your feed lots where guys don't like the boss because he's making them, you know, there's a lot that gets blamed on the cow. Yep. Yep. And it's just not, they, yep. it's just not that way. <laughs> Getting, you know, first off, you, the, the owner to, to accept it. And then the other guys to say, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to work at this because it does take work. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, when, especially when you're working a bud box or if you get into a little bit of open area and you're taking too quick of a step or, or t- one step too many or something. And, and that's frustrating in itself, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, but man, it's, it's gratifying once you, once you get there. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, and to me it's, 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 it's fun. I mean, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if I, I could, I could sit there I, I could have fun all day uh, putting cattle through a bud box into the alleyway. Just I, I would enjoy doing just that all day. Cattle. Yep, yeah. yep. Just figuring out what the the moves I need to make and the uh, the the pressure I need to put on them and that sort of thing. I I, I could enjoy doing that all day long. But. You know, I think one probably one of the invitations I would extend some of because I I've thought this after I took that class. I I thought, you know no one's going to want to do this. No mm-hmm. one's going to want to take this time. And it's really not that much. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. It's not yeah. that much time. It's yeah. just effort. Yeah. And if you put that much effort into cussing out a cow, you can, you can learn <laughs> something, you know, but anyone that thinks that a cow, I guess, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as you repeat this, especially with your same herd throughout the year, you know, you start training your herd, you start training your mm-hmm. feedlot, the, the cows start to learn it. And I think some people don't think that's possible. And I guess the invitation I always thought was, well, we ought to just invite them to a dairy because yeah. you think cows can't be trained. Absolutely. Those cows don't hardly get touched. Yeah. Well, and, and I look back on my, when I was growing up, um, we, uh, our family, we AI'd our cow herd. And uh, we they were out on pasture. And this is beef herd. And, uh, and we raised horses. So we saddle our horses every night. And go out, gather the cows, bring them in, heat detect for an hour, and then let them out. And then we do the um, same thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, after three or four days of that, those cows would see us come out of the barn with our horses. And they'd just pick up and start walking start to coming them. in. Yep. <laughs> and, 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 you're, and you're exactly right. You know, that's, I mentioned my, that uh, co- common cattle handling mistakes. Uh, that I talk that I like to give uh, one of them is what I call uh, the sifter and that's the guy that he needs five head of cattle to go into the alleyway but he brings 30 because he's just going to let 25 of them slip by and he hopes he has five left yeah. to get into the alleyway when he gets up there and what happens there is those those cattle learn that they can escape yeah, he messes up the others absolutely and, and, and by the time he gets done working the, the the group of cattle and this is especially bad in a cow herd like you mentioned where well, year after year those cows uh get sifted mm-hmm. uh you know they they've escaped so many times that when they get to the last 20 30 maybe even 40 head they get on the fight because mm-hmm. i got away last time and now i've got to got to get in there and and cattle start jumping fences People start getting hurt. That sort of thing uh, occurs when, uh, but you've trained them to do that. And the bad part about it is 
when you tell that sifter that uh, uh, he needs to run the branding iron and you put someone else back there that's a good cattle handler, yeah. he's got to retrain that herd. Mm-hmm. And and it's going to take a while and, and pretty not good get, chance he might get hurt. up in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been out there, you know, like when we would preg check for, for different ranchers and a cow would come through and, you know, like a six or eight year old cow and, and he goes, oh, this old rank thing. And, you know, they developed that little relationship over the years. Yeah. They know. And it's just funny hearing you say that because <clears throat> they know that cow and that cow knows them, yep. you know. Yep. And uh, uh, so I guess, you know, we, we tend to not think of, of cows as intelligent beings, but really they will learn oh, absolutely. what to do and what not to do. Yep. And the, But they'll also learn at the same time what's easy, mm-hmm. you know. And, and if we make... Like they said today, if we make the the easy things or whatever the what we need them to do easy, yeah, then uh, a lot more can be accomplished. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's impressive. Um, so I guess then my other question is: Do you do you like where you're at now? Do you are you happy at this stage? Is there more that you're waiting to do, or do you do you feel like you've hit the groove? Well, I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm enjoying the opportunities I've got. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old, but uh, I, uh, I, I still want to be effective. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, do I feel like I'm done? No. Uh, I still want to, I still want to, just like, just like my favorite football coach, Bill Snyder, I still want to get a little better, bit better every day. Mm-hmm. So do you, um, so kind of leading into this question then is what, what's the, what's your thing right now? I mean, I know, I know the animal handling, the animal welfare is the thing. Is there anything in specific where you're putting a lot of effort into right now? Well, I think, uh, uh, I'm, I, I really want to continue, uh, working on in the animal welfare front, um, and you know, and I'm pretty passionate about uh, antimicrobial stewardship and and food safety. Those are probably my three main passions. And uh, you know, one of the one of the concerns I have, speaking frankly, is is um, the the what appears to be a fairly widespread use of of darts. Okay. Um, and uh, I. I'd, I understand the animal welfare aspect of that because if a calf's lame and, and he needs an antibiotic and you don't have facilities close and you don't want to drive him a mile on mm-hmm. a lame foot, I get that. But I don't think it should be the primary the uh, go-to thing. Yeah, yeah, the immediate thing. And I think there's... Uh, so, some of my concerns there also has to do with with antimicrobial stewardship or antibiotic stewardship. Those darts can only hold so much volume, mm-hmm. and so I'm fairly convinced that a lot of us are making our antibiotic decisions not on what might be the best treatment for that animal, but will, what will fit in that dart. That's a good point. And, I haven't uh, thought about that. Yeah. And so that that's a that's a concern I have, um, but. Uh, by the same token, the, that the dart gun is is a handy tool. It really is. I just uh, 
and and the other concern of that is I was around when BQA and was first being developed, and I, I grew up giving injections in the hip of cows and in the hip of of calves, and because that's where you did it. Yeah, that's where you did it. And one of my concerns with the with the darts is that we're not going to be we're going to start finding more injection site lesions left over from from dart guns. Yep, yep, because we don't hit in the right place uh, either accidentally or on purpose mm -hmm. uh, because that that hindquarter is a pretty big target and it's pretty convenient and mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I'm I'm afraid. That's my fear is that we'll start seeing more injection site lesions at slaughter from that. Yeah, which translates into some not good. I mean, just like you're saying, lesions that people are seeing yep. at, at the slaughterhouse. And yep. that's lost money and, and frankly doesn't look good in the public side. Absolutely. Anyway. Um, so uh, is that is that more of a problem, just lack of facilities where you see guys using those a lot or just – I don't. I don't want to call people lazy. I don't. Right. But is it is it is it a thing where it's like, well, this is just easier. Right. In some instances, I think it is just mm -hmm. easier. Um, the, uh, but you know, you, you get out here in, in this country where we're at, where it's big open range, and and uh, uh, you know, it, it's going to take an effort. Um, of course, here you're probably going to be a little more apt to find. Uh, cowboys that can rope the calf and mm -hmm. treat it properly, or I guess I should say treat it with a syringe as opposed to a dart. Mm -hmm. You get further east, there's there's some good cowboys there, but they're fewer and farther between, and uh, and I'm afraid that's where a lot of it is is occurring. Mm -hmm. um, you just can't find the people to uh, to uh, that can go out and rope a calf, or for that matter, even. Uh, guide a calf in use a horse and guide a calf into a facility to capture him and, and treat him the traditional way i guess mm -hmm. i should say hmm. yeah that would be that would be interesting because honestly that's the i i know i know the guys have been using dart guns but i'd never had, had thought about that mm -hmm. especially like the dosage concern mm -hmm. um <clears throat> I mean, I don't know anything about what the darts, who makes the darts or anything like that, but I wouldn't assume there's a wide variety of darts available to everybody. I think there's about three companies that, that make them. Um, one of them is, uh, is, is more popular than the other two, I'd say. But, you know, um, um, when I was with, with Cattle Empire, we, uh, we, we were notified that, uh, by the packer that there was a dart in one of our carcasses. Oh, it went all the way into the into yep. the skin, yep. or under the skin. Yep, and uh, um, and so we we didn't use darts, and so the customer that uh, owned that heifer, uh, I called him up and I said, uh, I said, are, are you using darts down there? He said, No, I won't. I don't use darts. I don't won't, won't allow them on the place. And of course, he purchased the, this group of heifers and then grazed them on his ranch for a couple months before he sent them to the feed yard. And uh, so that dart had been in that heifer from the time she was a baby calf. Oh, my word. And uh, and so, you know, and that it's metal. Yeah. And so that's adulterated meat. Yep. And uh, so, and and you talk to the packing plant guys and, and uh, uh, if you go into a, a packing plant uh 
I talked to the, the a shift manager or something, and uh, a lot of times you say, "Hey, uh, what's are you having finding any darts?" And uh, and uh, the one time I did it, the guy pulled his desk drawer open. There were seven or eight darts oh in my his, gosh. that yeah. he'd found, and so it's 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 not. Um, I guess a huge epidemic yet, but it is. I think it's a. I think it could be a potential problem. The main thing you got to do if you're going to use that equipment is if you shoot a dart, you got to find the dart. Find the dart. Yep. I, I hate saying people need to be educated because people want to be educated, but you know, having having a tool like this available where someone can hear someone's story and, uh, you know, there are there are those things. I, I think back to what you said at the beginning of. Have you climbing up that tower and seeing all those cattle, you know, I remember as myself as a kid going out, you know, in little league and in the morning, seeing a baseball field. And that was, that was my dream, yeah. you know, that yeah. was, and it stuck with me to this day. I can still think about it. So living out your passion, I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that in a human life. Yeah. yeah. So, well, it, it's been really good to have you here. And, uh, you know, you're, you're an excellent resource, not only for Merck, but for, for other people. And, um, I, I I appreciate your time. I yep. really do. Yep. I, uh, I'm glad to do it. And uh, I'll just finish by saying, repeating Bill Snyder, do a little bit better today than you did yesterday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you. You bet.